Welcome to episode 47 of Frank Reactions, the show where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name's Tema Frank. Today's guest is Marcy Kiziak, who is the Vice President Human Resources for Magnum Energy Services, and for the last six months has been the operations manager for an industrial coatings shop that Magnum owns. Marcy walked into what was truly a dysfunctional culture, and in six months, she has completely transformed it. There are a ton of lessons in here for anybody who manages staff, especially if you're trying to change your team dynamics. So although it's not directly about customer experience, there is no question that what they've done and how they've changed things there is having a very positive impact on the quality of what they're putting out to their customers and on the overall customer experience. Chat with you briefly after the interview. My name is Marcy Kiziak. I'm currently the Vice President of um, EHS and HR for Magnum Energy Services, and I'm also currently seconded um, in tandem in the role of Operations Manager for one of our coatings shops. Okay, so tell me what the company does. The company manages corrosion <laughs> solutions largely. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular location, we do a lot of coatings, um, a lot of oil field stuff. Your background then was in HR originally? That's right. Um, originally, I uh, have a Bachelor of Management uh, major in HR and LR from the U of L. LR is? Labor Relations. Ah, okay. And then went directly into the HR world for about 10 years. Okay. Um, but that said, in my even in my HR days, I was always quite integrated into operations. I was always, okay. I always wanted to know how the businesses made their money. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of HR people don't do that. Why do you think that is? Tough question. I think we're starting to see less and less of it because I think that a lot of the programs now, and Nate in particular, is teaching students things about project management and change management and you know, much deeper dives into you know to financial statements and understanding sort of how HR can be a business partner. I think right. there's a solid group of you know of HR people who didn't come out of that world or who were mm-hmm. really focused around process and policy and you know the personnel aspect of it which has you know become a bit of a dirty word in the HR world well and it's interesting because you know when I think back because I did a business degree as well and in the business world as you say HR people were sort of seen as these bad people and yet ironically most people go into HR because they enjoy the human relations yeah. side of it and they have almost no opportunity to exhibit that, to use that. It's, uh, it became really apparent to me that I had to change the perception of HR when I was doing an oil field hauling integration because there, it was a battle every day. So when you say an integration, it was one company had bought another and yeah. you were helping smooth exactly. that process. Okay. So what had happened is we had bought uh, a group of companies that had just been integrated together. So they had just been brought together and then immediately sold. So there had been real no integration done on that group. And then they were sold into another company that was trying to integrate them. Right. And had limited visibility in what HR actually did, except for that what they perceived, which was... Um, policy and procedure and standing in the way of them being able to run their businesses. And so it became a real effort to have to get integrated into that world. So then to realize for the, you know, those groups to realize that I wasn't there to make their lives more difficult. Right. Um, and I, I found, I, I'm not even sure how I found a way to be successful at that, but I found a way to get them to take me as one of their own. And um, so what do you, I mean, you say you're not sure, but what, thinking about it, what do you think were some of the things you did that made that possible? Learning to never flinch. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> that was really helpful. And, you know, it, and it became really saying to them, just tell me what's going on or tell me what happened or tell me what you see. I'll help you figure it out. You know, and, and there was lots of times where I said, I'll help you figure this out once, but don't do it again. And, you know, and it was never anything that was, you know, that had any issues around integrity or, you know, employment standards or any sort of laws. But lots of times there was things like, I need to fire this guy. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Or I just fired this guy. What do I do? <laughs> and so it became just tell me what happened mm-hmm. or tell me what's going on. We'll figure it out. And the other thing that was absolute key, and when I'm speaking to students, I say this all the time, give people options and let them make a decision. Mm-hmm. Don't make the decision for them. Right. Because then there's no accountability. And even if they choose the wrong decision, at least if you've given them a series of decisions, they're all manageable. You know, you can really right. sort them out. And you give them what their levels of risk are and what the potential, the real potential risk is. And if you, you know, managers and employees and, you know, they, they know when you're overstating things. Mm-hmm. And so if you just say, look, your risk is that you may get an employment standards claim or your risk is this may be a potential lawsuit and really talk them through the risks, you don't end up with the same reactive decisions. Right. So it truly became a matter of making, giving choices mm-hmm. and understanding where these guys were coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You were talking about in your current role having made a fair bit of change in the way things are being done. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What here specifically? Sure. Sure. So, um, so when I first came to, the, to, to Castle, there was no HR anywhere. Um, <laughs> now Magnum, I say. There was no Mag, there was no HR anywhere. So Castle became Magnum. That's right. Okay. Just, just a name change. Right. And so there was really no HR anywhere. And so it really was a matter of building from the absolute ground up. And so that was actually nice because um, you, you really got to put in the right procedures and the right policies. How many employees were there? Maybe 75. Okay. Maybe. Um, and again, it was another another acquisition integration activity. Right. And so, so these 75 were within different yes. organizations all under one yeah. umbrella. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So after two years of doing that and having you know a fairly robust and a really great staff, both in the HR and the safety world, um, and then I came here, <laughs> a six-month secondment, and um, this it was an interesting move, and it was really um, a fairly unexpected move. But when I came here, it was because there had been a series of leaders in this particular facility that were just really disconnected mm-hmm. from either disconnected either from the administration in the front or really disconnected from the shop staff in the back. Right. And so there just was never any amalgamation, just no teamwork. And so, and then even in the back, there was these really segregated groups. And so, you know, there was a, a two shifts and the quality on both shifts was significantly different from the other one. And, mm-hmm. um, it just, it was a series of all kinds of disconnects. And so really my role in coming here was really about just connecting the pieces. And so the role you took here was operations as well as HR? No, it's no. pure operations manager. Okay. I actually try to separate, I try to not do HR things here, which has been interesting. <laughs> um, because I find that, interestingly enough, uh, I find that all of the things that managers used to try and avoid telling me or try and avoid me about from an HR perspective, I, I'm... I'm having to think about now, right? And so I think having done this is really changing 
my view on HR, which I thought was quite progressive before <laughs> I got here. <laughs> and tell me more about that. Like, can you give me an example or? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, I always heard, you know, HR is trying to run my business or HR stopped me from running my business and I could never figure that out. And then when I started to figure it out in my old life and I felt like I wasn't doing that anymore. I felt like I was, I had, I was onto something. Mm-hmm. And then when I came in here and all of a sudden realized that, you know, there was times where, you know, there was employee issues or there was, um, or, or HR wanted to come in and give a presentation. And I'm thinking, I have production. What are you guys trying to do here? I'm busy. Uh, so just a really interesting dynamic around like really having to put a different lens on mm-hmm. HR again. <laughs> Which to me is, I mean, I, I'm sure once I'm done here, there's going to be a fair bit of reflection you yeah. know, on what that really looks like. But for me, that was eye-opening. Hmm. So when I came here, it was really a matter of, a, it was a really, it was a people issue. When I came here, it wasn't, you know, they knew we had a quality issue here. We had people issues. We had all kinds of issues. But at the root of all of it, it was incredibly evident that it was a people connection issue. Right. So one of the first things that we did, um, and, I, and I guess you'll, you'll hear me say we because I tried to never do anything in a vacuum here. The reason this has been the success it's been is because of the people here okay. and because they were 100% bought in. You know, How did they react when you first came in? Um, you know, it was it was positive. It actually was, and I wasn't really, really expecting that because when I made the announcement to them that we had, you know, made a decision to let the, the last person go, which was really relief to them. <laughs> when we made that decision, and I said, and I'm going to step in. There was a, you know a moment of pause, and then it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> because so what had happened uh, to take a few steps back is what had happened is I facilitated a session out here about a month prior, and it was because it had become the disconnect had become so significant and it was palpable when you walked in here and, you know, it wasn't getting better and we were adding more and more qualified or educated uh, managers and, you know, we had some, some great industry talent and all sorts of things, but it wasn't getting any better. Mm-hmm. So I facilitated a start, stop, continue activity just to, so I could get a sense of what was going on. And so through facilitating that, it became quite clear. So just explain to the audience what that sure. is. Sure. So what we did is I went through and it was, um, we gave it, everybody got a sticky and they wrote down on all their stickies things that they would keep doing, things that they would stop doing and things that needed to change. Okay. Um, and then we did a continue piece as well. And from out of that, we went through this whole long list and we, we did themes and we pared it down to what we needed to keep doing, what we needed to stop doing, what needed to change and made a commitment as a group that that's what was going to happen. And I left and it was, you know, maybe a day or two later was the first feedback that it was, had not been followed through. Mm-hmm. And so, but from that exercise, I knew where the disconnects were. Right. And, and, you know, watching and facilitating that session, it became very clear that it wasn't collaborative. And it was also clear in that exercise that the people that were participating were only comfortable participating to me, they were looking at me, they weren't looking at the group. Right. And so I knew I had their trust, but the management didn't. Right. So through that exercise, I actually knew where the disconnects were. And so when I came in about a month later, we made a management change and I announced it out here and I said, and now I'm stepping in. It didn't, it wasn't an issue. There well, was because they knew that you had the background that I knew what was going on. Right. Um, and they also knew that you know, I didn't sugarcoat things and I was always very transparent. <laughs> and that's one of the things I've always maintained is that I'm incredibly transparent yeah. in how I do things. Yeah. Um, 
and which is one of the changes we've made here is that I'm incredibly transparent with the employees and we're incredibly transparent with our customers. So when talking about transparency without getting too far ahead of myself, yeah. one of the changes that we made is that we do financial reviews every single week. And so my the, the staff here and the administrative staff, the financial staff and our foreman, which is something that you don't see in a lot of locations, goes through and breaks out every single job every single week so we know where we made money and we know where we lost money. Mm-hmm. And then we carry that to the back. And we sit down with our guys, with our shop staff, yeah. and we show it to them. I have no hesitation with them knowing how much money we made on a job. Right. And so, um, or how much money we didn't make on a job, you know, and so that's really important when we're pushing them or really important when we're sending people home that they see. That they understand yeah. what contribution they're making or not. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did they react to that change? Uh, it was, I don't think they believed us at the beginning. I don't <laughs> think they actually believed that that's what we were doing. Right. That, that this is, this is really it. This is really what we bid on this job. This is really what came out of the job. And so that was a bit of a, an interesting experience for the guys in the back. And, and but I say guys, but we actually have a pretty diverse workforce okay. you know, in terms of um, gender. But they, I don't think they believed us. But then when they started to, they started to really see that we cared. Well, what it also showed them is there were some cases where we were taking work that we were taking to keep them busy. Okay. And they valued that because they knew mm-hmm. that we were just making sure our employees were taken care of. Hmm. Interesting. So that was really valuable to them. So, so that was one of the changes that we made was around transparency. Yeah. And you know, and they know that they can ask a question and they'll get the answer. And if they, if I can't give them the answer, I'll say I can't tell you that, and this is what. Okay. Yeah. It's made a big difference because there's no, there's now no boundary, no, no secrecy. Hmm. Now, what about fixing the relationship between the front office and the back? How, how did you approach that? So it was a pretty major overhaul to get that straightened out. The first thing that I did was we had a discourse. So we had everybody be disc assessed. And so we could actually get some a bit of understanding about people's personalities. Again, not something that I'd seen done throughout an entire business, including um, mm-hmm. you know from, from top to bottom. Right. But I thought it was important. And, and everybody was in the course. Everybody took it together. Everybody got an understanding of everybody. Um, so we did that. And then we started having our staff meetings with everybody present. And then we removed the shift barriers. And so instead of having an A shift and a B shift, yeah. we now only have one shift. So how does that work? Uh, we stagger it. And so what happens is basically the shifts start at different times during the day. But everybody works together at some point. And the reason oh. that we did that was because what was happening is that we had... Um, a lot of finger pointing. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the A shift or the blue shift uh, was saying that the red shift was, you know, didn't do something they needed to do and vice versa. But what this allowed us to do is so it extends the, the time that they're working and provides full autonomy on the projects that they're working on. And so they start a project, they finish a project. They don't start a project and then somebody else right. finishes it or somebody else is involved in it. And that's what, that is what was happening. And when that was happening, nobody was taking accountability for anything. So we had huge quality issues. Right. And nobody felt ownership of anything. Right. And so now if it's your job and you start that job, then you finish that job Hmm. and you see it through. Okay. So that's been really helpful. Um, And then we changed our shifts to be staggered. So they start at different times throughout the day, but we don't work weekends unless we have to. Okay. And so what that does is it allows our employees the opportunity to sort of have a more regular Mm. life, Mm -hmm. but know um, that we will use weekends when we've got customer requirements or we will use weekends if we've got some sort of issue that we need to to push through the shop. And and employee, we don't get the same pushback. Right. 
Yeah, I would think that would give them more willingness to do that because yes. then they know it is an occasional thing and that you're showing consideration to them. So so by staggering the shifts, what it allows us to do is take our employees and have them so they're productive all day long. And so the first shift that would have to touch the, touch the piece first Mm -hmm. are in first and they complete what they're doing and then the next shift comes in and they pick it up and so because it's different skill sets right? right and so our blasters come in and they, they do what they need to do and then our coders come in and they do what they need to do and um so it just is more of a complimentary day yeah and it makes more sense right and then the other thing that we did that, that helped that is we put them in self-directed work pots. And so, uh, which we never called it that, um, <laughs> but that's what we did. And so we took these groups and created these little autonomous groups where they drove accountability from within. And so you had, you know, a sort of a lead on each shift that was responsible and was really the first set of eyes to know if anything was going awry. And so before the foreman or before I found out about there being an issue, it was always solved. <laughs> and listen, we've had one significant, and by significant, I mean, we were still on schedule, we were just off budget, um, issue since we've done that. And, hmm. you know, there's still some, still some work to do, but, you know, it's really that, that lead can look and say, this is going sideways and bring it back. Or there's always somebody right there for the employee to say, this doesn't feel right. This looks like it's going sideways. Right. And then to bring it back. Right. And then we hear about it. It's not an issue. It's immediately corrected. Hmm. And so, and they keep each other accountable, which is why we haven't seen the same issues as we previously did around turnover, around absenteeism, hmm. late people. I mean, it's amazing how quickly you've been able to make that change. Well, we found, interestingly enough, um, on the discs, I'm not sure if you're comfortable, if you're familiar with discs, what we found is that we had an inordinate number of high, of high S's back there. Okay. So explain, cause people yeah. listening might not know. So, People who, you know, really, um, function better in a steady environment. They don't do well with aggressive feedback. Um, you know, really require a lot of information, want to know what's happening, um, work well in teams, want to get to know the people that they're working with. Yeah. And it had become such a production based facility that employees were getting yelled at when they, you know, when things were going a little bit sideways and then they were completely off for the rest of the day. They couldn't focus. Right. And so, we had this inordinate number of employees that were high S's and all working together with the, with the, the odd few high D's mixed in. And so these D's, these dominant personalities couldn't figure out why they were, you know, the louder they yelled, the less was getting done. <laughs> and it just made no sense. Yeah. And so when we went through the disc process and found how many S's we had back there, right. it was really enlightening. And so we had to take the disc scale and we had to mix in some C's and so that we really knew that there was going to be, you know, a lot of attention to quality and, those sorts of things. And then even up in our front office, our project coordinator and our estimator are both high S's. <laughs> and so it just, so when things would start to run off the rails, there was no, there wasn't that sobering second thought to put it back on until a D got involved and then a, all hell's broken right. because people are, everybody's mad. Yep. And so we had to start to, to build that in and make sure that there was some C's mixed in to really be worried about, um, you know, making sure things were, were full in process and make sure that we had things on the rails. You know, and the odd, we only have a few eyes around here, but the odd eye was <laughs> there to make sure people were talking and, you know, those sorts of things were happening and it's made a huge difference. Um, you know, the guys in the back wear the sticker on their uh, corresponding sticker on their hard hat. So that, oh really? So that people know oh, what they are. That's very cool. Which has been very helpful huh. in the back. So you find that actually changes how people choose to interact when they see that sticker. They sort of are reminded yeah. this person is not going yeah. to react well if I 
do X. And it's a language, and we're getting better about using it. This morning, as an example, we were uh, all huddled into our project coordinator's office, and she's a high S, and you could see she was trying to work while we're all huddled. And, <laughs> and I said, we're making you very uncomfortable, aren't we? And she said, yep. <laughs> and so, you know, it becomes a bit of a language. That's useful. That is. is really cool. It is. So what were some of the hurdles that you faced then in, in making that transition? There was a significant employee turnover, and it had to be. Um, we yeah. just had to be. We had been working tirelessly at trying to get 5S principles back there and trying to get people to have some real pride and ownership and knew that the sort of middle-level management was what was stopping that from, from happening. And it was it was curious because you had the compression on them should have been so significant because senior leadership was pushing it down and our employees were actually pushing it up mm-hmm. because they want they want location, they want it to be clean, they want it to be safe, they want right. to know where all of their stuff is. Mm-hmm. And then with sort of this mid-level that's not used to that was actually making it more challenging hmm. was, was, the, was the group that was pushing it back. So at that time, kind of like the foreman level was what was pushing back. Right. And so there had to be a significant change. Right. There had to be because things like 5S principles and things like disc training and, you know, um, 5S meetings, which we still have regularly, need to happen on a regular basis. Otherwise, they lose. When there's not that fluidity, you, you lose the ability, um, the traction that you've gained. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we had to stick with it. So there, that happened for sure. Um, and to we, what extent was that voluntary versus people being let go? I'd say it was about half and half. Okay. And when I got here, um, and even just before I got here, I wasn't willing to make a lot of exception for bad behavior. Right. Uh, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to the people who come here every day and, and work. And are trying. The other thing that we, I think that was really important that we did is we found a way to make quote, bad quality taste bad. It could just, more. we wanted it to, we wanted it to feel really bad to people that when, you know, when work was done carelessly, mm-hmm. that it was not okay. Right. And so we changed, we needed to determine who we wanted to be here. And we want, we decided that our niche isn't that we were going to be the lowest cost and that we weren't going to be the quickest, but our quality was going to be the best and we were always going to be competitive. Okay. And so that was a real shift because we had to push that down and we had to push the quality issues out. You know, and there was, and it was, they were dumb. It was, you know, we had debris issues mm-hmm. in paint because the floors needed to be cleaned. Uh-huh. Well, so let's just do it. Right. And we did it. And, you know, and I got no pushback once, you know, sir, so once all of the people who really didn't see the value in that were gone, I right. got no pushback. But when you say you made bad quality taste bad, what made them care? Or you're saying it really was just getting rid of the people who no, didn't have the... Okay. We drove a, we drove accountability on that. We, if we had an, a meeting, we had a, a project that went sideways and it was quality related. We had a meeting and we sat down and we set up all of the guys in the back and we talked about it and we talked about where this went sideways and we talked to them about what that actually costs mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. We gave them real costs mm-hmm. because when you have, you know, a, a runaway that's costing you several thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, Employees need to know that. Yep. They do. And so we sat down and we talked about them and we showed them costs and we talked about the, the results and people don't want to do bad work. Exactly. They don't. And exactly. when we give them 
when you give them the autonomy to be able to really be responsible for what they're doing, they want to do it well, yeah. right? And I showed if I showed everybody here the Dan Pink videos because I want them to see that what really drives employee motivation is their ability to be able to do the work that they want to do as well as possible, have autonomy over how it's done, and have it mean something. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. So what gives it meaning to them? The, I mean, these guys are artists in what they do, and I think in a lot okay. of cases it's been, you know, it's not always as valued as it should be because it's not a recognized trade, but our coders are artists at what they do. Huh. And so, you know, it's not uncommon to see me back there taking pictures or texting <laughs> pictures to our chairman or our president about the phenomenal quality of the work that they do. Or That's them nice. standing beside it. I'll take pictures of them standing beside it, a beautiful piece of work that they've done. And it might be a valve, but it's beautiful. <laughs> and so we take those pictures and we talk about it and we talk about it in meetings. and Nice. A lot of recognition. It's been really important. And that's something that got missed before was right. really the recognition piece because I think people were afraid that if you recognize employees that they won't work as hard because they think they're doing a great job. And I don't it understand It doesn't that. work that way. No. And I don't understand that. But so the quality issues have really, really gone away. So the quality issues have gone away, which means then also that your costs have come more into line. That's right. So what's next? What are the next challenges? Or the ongoing challenges. Right now, the ongoing challenge is that the market dip happened. Yeah. And that's been impactful to us because we spent all this time building these work pods and these really great teams, and then we slow right down. And so you have to balance non-chargeable time and not not wanting to lose some fantastic employees. And so I think that what we're going to see now and what I'm starting to see is that when we had the market slow down, we were just doing what we could to maintain that core group of really solid employees, but that creates its own challenges. Um, we're starting to pick up a little bit now, but um, it creates its own challenges around employee motivation because now people are getting used to not having the same degree of... I mean, people are used to not having to, to be as engaged and rush around as much and not having to be as engaged in what it right. is they're doing every day because we're really just doing things. things. are slower. Yeah. Although, presumably, if things pick up... Yeah. It wouldn't take long for people to get back into the energy of that. It shouldn't. Think. Yeah. It shouldn't. And you say things are starting to pick up a bit? It's feeling a little better this month. Oh, good. Yeah. Let's hope that's the start of something. <laughs> so did you have to let employees go as things slowed down? We had some. That's tough. It is tough. It's very tough. So I have a question that, and if you don't want this to go in the interview, I will cut it out. But I'm just curious. I've interviewed a lot of women in business and... Mm-hmm. When you took on this role, were you nervous? Like, were you a little bit scared about how this was going to go? I was terrified for the first little <laughs> bit. I, 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 was, I, I was terrified, and then I was too busy to be terrified. <laughs> I, I'm sure I must have said a million times, I don't know if I can do this. But the, the funny part is that my staff here, especially you know my, the administration staff, never thought I couldn't. Uh-huh. And so... That, but you know, that becomes different when you're, you know, when this, the group of people that you're working with never thought you couldn't do it. Right. And so, and I think that it's sort of been something that's carried through my whole career is I always, was always sort of one step ahead of where I thought I should be. <laughs> yeah. And, and I always did. And I was just, I never had the good sense to say no to anything. <laughs> and so that, that's really been really helpful. Well, it's interesting because there's a lot of research that shows that 
men in a, and I was chatting with a guy the other day where he acknowledged me said oh when I took this job I really knew nothing and the research shows that if you've got say 10 criteria for a job yeah. a man will apply if he's got two of the 10 a woman will feel she's got to have all 10 and that's part of the reason that women haven't advanced as quickly in a lot of fields. Yeah, I, but, I'm pretty, I guess I'm, I, when I looked at it, I was like, I, get, I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure I can do this. And, <laughs> you know, and it was both feet in, but I've never hesitated to ask questions, and I still do it today. Yeah. I, you know, I, I walked over to, you know, to a, a valve today and pointed to pieces and said, what is that? And so that I know, because I've never been afraid to ask questions, I've never been afraid of what, perception of what of my asking questions is going to be yeah that that's been really helpful I think um, so. yeah. and you know I've relied incredibly heavily on the staff here to make me smarter and I must say please make me smarter <laughs> at least once a day when we work through things because I, I need to understand the mechanics I'd ask anybody back there yeah I'd, I'd ask our laborers so mm-hmm. tell me what you do here or how you do this or why you do this or right um, and I always I did a lot of pre-asking. So I go into meetings and say, I'm going to be out there and I might even be videoing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's only because I am learning. It's not because I'm questioning what you're doing. So That's if you're questioning what I'm doing, it's because I'm just trying to learn and don't hesitate to ask me. That's really good. And so they were great. You know, they would walk over and start explaining things, just randomly start explaining things to me. And well, again, I think people have a certain pride in what they do. And yeah. if you're interested, they're happy about yeah. that. What impact has this had on your relationships with customers? Again, I'm really transparent with them. And, I'm, and I always tell them that I'm very transparent. But I will always say, you know, come visit us anytime you want. Drop in anytime you want. You have any questions, you want an update on your work. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that makes you feel better about you sending work to me, let me know. And we'll do it. And so that's been really helpful with our customers. So in this business, like I speak to a lot of people in the manufacturing sector in Alberta who say... It's all about price. Yeah. And you're saying, we quite consciously decided we're not going to go after the bottom price. We're going to go for quality. Yeah. So do you think that your industry is actually different from others? Or do you think others are just underestimating the impact quality could have on where they could price? We can't run a business based on being the lowest price. We're a business. We need to make money. Yeah. And so being the lowest cost provider has never been part of what it is we wanted to do. It was really about long-term relationships good quality work and protecting our customers' assets. Right. Is there anything I should have asked you and I haven't? Another one of the really key things that we've done around here, and it's really been the last couple of months we've seen it come to fruition, is KPIs, which I know everybody talks about KPIs, but we found a way to find some really um, valuable ones and change them into a way that our staff in the back, they're, they're speedometers now, and our staff in the back see them every month. Okay. And they see these speedometers and shows them where we are in terms of consumables and where we are on schedule and where we are in terms of our revenue targets and hmm. all these sorts of things. And it's just, it's a visual. They see it once a month and it's meaningful to them. And they okay. see where the target actually sits. Right. And so they know what it is we're trying to hit. So they know that when we're coming down on them about things that it's not arbitrary. Do they have any input onto what those goals will be? They will. Uh, right now we're, because we're, doing so much baseline work right now, just trying to get things where they need to be. Okay. Um, we've sort of set targets around what we need in order to be profitable. Okay. But when it comes to the KPIs, once we hit those targets, then absolutely, I think they have to be. Okay. I think they have to be, and they have to see it in real time, see it regularly, yes. and all those sorts of things, and so that they really are part of the discussion. Right. Uh, because you never know. You know a good example is we've got a QC guy here who um, was a laborer, 
and we didn't know for a solid, it must be a solid year, that he actually had a master's degree. Huh. But we didn't know. Huh. Nobody ever asked him. Right. And English isn't his first language. And so, you know, it was just never a conversation that came up around his education or his background or any of those sorts of things. Some of our best information, some of our best goal setting will come out of the guys that are back there. Right. Because they're truly the people who understand what we can do, what we should do. There's just so much great stuff in this interview that it's hard to summarize it. I have to say, though, my favorite quote was when she said, our coders are artists at what they do. I think that was absolutely beautiful to recognize that something that many people would look at and say from the outside, well, okay, what's the big deal? They're spray painting a piece of metal. But clearly, there is a lot more to it than that. And she recognizes and values it and has given her staff the opportunity to have pride of workmanship, which has been a big part of what's made this shift in cultural attitude. Another comment she made that certainly rang true to me, I've said similar things, is that people don't want to do bad work. If you give your employees an opportunity to do their best and take pride in doing their best, that is what they want to do. That's all I've got for today. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. If you go to frankreactions.com forward slash 47, you'll not only, as of a day from now, be able to get the transcript for this episode, but you'll also be able to see a goofy selfie of me and Marcy in hard hats. Marcy looks great. I have not yet mastered the art of the selfie. Anyway, if you've got any feedback on this episode or ideas for another or general comments, please, please do reach out to me. You can contact me by email, tema, T-E, Amazon Marketing A at frankreactions.com, by telephone, toll free in North America, 1-866-544-9262, on Twitter, simply at Tema Frank, or on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever. If you do enjoy this show, please tell others about it. Next week, I will be broadcasting to you from Calgary, Alberta. So if you are going to be in Calgary, October 5th, 6th, and 7th, give me a buzz. I would love to connect with you. Uh, We'll be there over the course of Customer Experience Day, which is October 6th. So it'd be kind of cool if I could get together with some of you and talk customer experience. That's all for now. Talk to you next week. Bye. (music) 